What's up, fight fans? Welcome to the SB Nation MMA post-fight show for UFC Fight Night 144 or UFC on ESPN2 on ESPN Plus 2, or UFC Fortaleza, or possibly even UFC Asuncao versus Marais 2, brought to you by websites like BloodyElbow.com and also MMAMania.com. I'm your host, as always, Flying Brian J, and with me, as usual, most of the time, is the Zane Simon, associate editor of BloodyElbow.com, and we just got done watching a pretty damn good fight card that got over when, on an ordinary... On an ordinary Fox Sports 1 card, the first fight of the main card would just be getting over and we're done with the entire thing. How fantastic is that for you on the West Coast, Zane? It's fucking beautiful. I am going to go, like, get a pizza. I am going to have a night. I'm going to watch a movie. I'm going to have a full night with, like, my wife and an evening to myself. And this feels great. And this fight card started in the afternoon. It started at normal UFC fight time. It started at Two, which is an hour earlier than usual, but that's one hour earlier to get done three hours earlier. Absolutely fantastic. And I saw a lot of people talking about it's just because there's a boxing event on ESPN Plus later on tonight. That's why it was at this time. But it's not the only time they're going to be doing it. Uh, in the future, ESPN Plus UFC cards are going to start at between 8 and 7 uh, my time, which is central time, depending mm-hmm. on uh, what caliber of card it is. And, of course, the pay-per-views are still going to be starting at 10 Eastern, 9 my time. But to be able to watch an entire fight card in that short amount of time is pretty fucking great. And then the main card of this thing only saw one decision, and it was the first fight on the main card. Yep. Um, well, the beautiful thing I think that we saw out of this, and this is the thing I secretly hoped and prayed for, but you never want to really hope too hard on these kinds of things, is that international television requires so much less commercial filler than American TV. that Because like, there still were commercials all throughout this, all, all through all the fights on the prelims and the main card. It's not like we lacked for commercials. But because it's only an international audience that's getting these fights on TV for, like, a regular cable channel, the pacing is for international cable and international commercial requirements. And it's really, it's just the U.S. market that's like, no, you're going to have five commercial breaks for every 20 minutes of television. Yeah, and they put the one fight per half hour block, so when... Fucking Johnny Walker goes out there spinning back fist Justin Ledette into the canvas in just 15 seconds. We have to listen to Karen Bryant talk for the next 25 minutes, and that, that didn't happen tonight. It's glorious. No, it's, yeah, they just are like, okay, now we've got another fight queued up. We're just going to keep moving along. And it's just, oh, I remember having somebody who did some TV production try to convince me that it was like, oh, it's a production requirement thing, and that's just what they need to, the time to set up. And it's like, no, it's obviously bullshit. That's not what they need. And it's obviously bullshit. That's not what they need. You give us an ESP, you know, you give us ESPN Plus pacing, you give us Fight Pass pacing, and they can push this shit way, way faster. And it makes a card like this, where the free, the prelims were filled with a bunch of bullshit, mediocre trash fights, way, way better. Because you forget, by the time you're looking at, like, Johnny Walker, Justin Ledette, you forget everything that happened in the two hours prior. Like, that's just a blur who cares what happened then you yeah. know 
Exactly. Instead of making the the long slog that was Mauro Romero Barella versus Tyler Santos take up so much of our life and we have to talk about it for the next one, it's here and gone because, well, it was here and gone. Yeah. They, they, they were cutting to Anthony Hernandez walking to the cage at the point that, like, Barella was exiting it. Like, they were just like, no, we got to get this fucking next fight going and we got to get, you know... We're not interviewing anybody. We don't care what you have to say. And I feel a little bad for the, you know, fighter interview, especially Marcus Perez, where Bisping was just like pulled, like walked away from him while he was trying to talk into the mic. And he's like, this sucks. I'm just, let's cut some tape. Okay, I'll show the review of the fight. Oh, look, isn't that cool? Isn't that more interesting than this bullshit you're saying? Yeah, but but didn't even interview uh, Syed Nurmagomedov, who had a really impressive performance. They just decided to um, forego interviewing him even though it was a first round finish ordinarily we'd have gave him the mic for as long as he possibly wanted uh yeah basically yeah oh really wonderful excuse me i'm just uh tucking my dog in she just had surgery so i need to cover her keep her little leg covered so that she can uh not lick it and get to it is she recovering quickly yeah she's doing all right as expected you know Yep, she, it's, it's major surgery, so it'll take a while, but she's doing okay. I'm sure everybody that normally listens to the MMA Viv section has their thoughts and prayers with her. That's right. She, everybody, thoughts and prayers for Molly. Yeah, she's she's the third she's the third host of the MMA Viv section, which goes down <laughs> on a weekly basis on Bloody Elbow Presents. Absolutely. Um, so let's talk about what happened in the main event of this fight card. It was a rematch between Rafael Sunsau and Marlon Marais. Marais has finished now three opponents in the very first round. He did so this time. A couple of overhand rights, got a sunset on the canvas, and finished it with a, with a guillotine choke. Maybe let's talk about his performance and then the weirdness that was his post-fight interview. That, that post-fight interview was fucking magical. I love <laughs> it. So I got no problem with that. Magic Marlon Marais. But honestly, too, his performance in the octagon is about as perfect as you can get. He looked like he would... A Sunsia was starting out the exact same kind of fight you expect from a Sunsia. Work the jab, work for the right occasional long one too. Don't take any chances. Don't get over. Don't get out of position defensively. Just kind of keep ahead on points and all that. And Marias just jumped in, closed the distance, and blasted him, and then choked him out. And I mean, of all the way, any you know, it was it wasn't hard to say Marlon Marias could knock. Hop Alessandro out. That's how he could win this fight. And he, you know, that that seemed like if he was going to win this fight, he was going to have to knock Asuncio out. But to pick him to to win by submission, like never in a million years would I have seen, even off a club and sub, Marlon Marais submitting Hop Alessandro. I have to now look up what the odds were on us on Marais to win via submission. Um, it was. Oh my, Marais wins via submission plus 1,700. Yeah. Uriah Faber is the only other fighter to ever submit Rafael Asuncao in 2010 by rear naked choke. Yeah, that's a, that's a long time between submission losses. And This is a bantamweight who armbarred fucking Joe Lozon in 2006. <laughs> that, that was a super long time ago. You saying Marais yeah. armbar Joe Lozon? A Sunsau. Oh. Like, dude is, you know, this is a 155-pound fighter 
that he's submitting 12 or 11 fucking years, 13 years ago, whatever, I got a drink, I, I know what I'm doing, um, 13 years ago, and he's got one submission loss in his entire career, I would never have picked Marlon Marais to be the other guy to submit Rafael Sunset. What are you drinking there, some whiskey neat? No, this is a, this is a Manhattan, a little bourbon, little sweet vermouth. Sounds sounds fancy. I've got myself a an amber ale. Ah, uh, yeah, nothing wrong with beer. I, I, we didn't have any beer in the house, so you know, I, I, go, I gotta go to the Manhattan, get the Luxardo cherry in there. I mean, when we're talking about uh, desperation alcoholic beverages, a Manhattan is probably pretty okay. Yeah, no, it's not desperation. It's desperation <laughs> would have been the red wine we got kicking around here. Oh yeah, gross. Uh, let's talk about that the post fight interview. Um, you were talking about Jesus and poop in a very small time frame? Yes, yes. The the wonderful, here here's my horrible diarrhea story, and I'd like to thank God for giving me this win and pushing me into the cage tonight. <laughs> like, I mean, I love it. It was it was pure beauty from Marlon Rice, especially following up with the whole, like, TJ, they sent TJ Dillashaw off to fight little boys, and I'm not <laughs> sure he's good enough to face me anymore. Just the whole cavalcade of that post-fight interview and the journey he took us on from his terrible diarrhea via mosquito bite to blood thanking God to TJ Dillashaw, it was, it was as good as he could possibly do in a second language for a post-fight interview. And and what kind of sucks is that even though that was like soundbite gold, I don't think we're going to be able to use it immediately for him to get a title shot because they're probably going to run back Cejudo versus Dillashaw at 135 pounds before this dude gets his chance. Yeah, it, I mean, that's the thing, too, is that Mariah seems like the kind of guy who might take another fight in the meantime. Like, if the UFC was like, hey, well, you know, it's going to be like eight months before this whole Cejudo Dillashaw 2 thing is wrapped up and before we can get you another fight or a title fight that you want and you've earned. So, you want to fight John Lineker? Like, yeah. He would probably do that. And that would be fucking awesome. But at the same time, if Lineker were to win that fight, He's already lost, totally, he already got wiped by Dillashaw. So, you know, you're setting up the potential, like, where you're, there's nobody, there's no other clear challenger in this division right now with the Suncio getting knocked out and Dominic Cruz being injured for a year. You know, the, the only other thing you're looking at is, like, John Dodson is fighting Peter Yan and Cody Garbrandt is fighting Pedro Munoz. And P- Cody Garbrandt's already lost to Dillashaw twice by KO. A Moonhost win probably doesn't get him right back there. So they've got this weird situation where Marais might just be sidelined for like six or eight months, or he's going to get himself, he's going to walk himself out of a title shot by taking a super dangerous, cool ass fight that I will totally watch and be happy about. The John Lineker one I'd be completely fine with. I think that's, I think he'd win that fight. And I would love the build up to it, and I would get hyped yeah. for it. Um, and then he would stay right right where he is. I, I like that in the post-fight interview he said that he doesn't know if TJ deserves to fight him now after oh, yeah. getting waxed by Cejudo. That was a- That's great trash talk. That's ex- absolutely the trash talk. And I like D- I like Dillashaw. And I, 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 I like him as a champion. I like his performances and all that. But it's exactly the trash talk that Dillashaw deserves after his whole, like, 
I'm going down there to close the division and play assassin for the UFC and all that. And he absolutely deserves people in his own division clowning him for getting absolutely shit kicked by Henry Cejudo. Yes, he absolutely does. I saw a meme that was, I think it was Colby Covington passing a baton off to uh, <laughs> Tita to Dillashaw for being the most annoying fighter. And no, it was Dylan Dennis. Past Dylan the Dennis, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That was a, that's a Which fuck. I don't, I mean, honestly, Dylan <laughs> Dennis still owns every bit of that record, but whatever. Yeah. You know. Funny meme, regardless of the legitimacy yeah. of it. Uh, so, in the co main event of the evening, Jose Aldo finished Hanato Moicano with TKO punches just 44 seconds into the second round, but uh, the commenters seem to be more hyped about Johnny Walker, so I was going to skip down to old Johnny Walker before getting to the co-main event. Okay, okay, fine, fine, fine. Yeah, I get it. Johnny Walker's the new kid on the block. He did the fucking worm. He almost soccer kicked a dude, which, (laughs) man, I will tell you, I love the shit out of that. Like, I am 100% here for nearly fouling the fuck out of people, Johnny Walker. (laughs) Like, you you look at John Jones in the UFC and his entire run of greatness is a list of him also nearly fouling or, or just kind of fouling the shit out of people. Like, he got caught for it in that fight he had with, uh, oh, damn it. Um, Matt Hamill? Matt Hamill. Yeah, he got caught against Matt Hamill, but he's eye-poked people. He used to headbutt people in the chest. Remember when he was doing that? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, you'd get on people down and be in their guard and start headbutting them in the chest. They're like... You're not allowed to fucking headbutt people anywhere, dude. I know it's a technicality and the ref isn't going to call it because you're not headbutting him in the face. But it's still, like, I love to see fighters who are just like, you know what? you got to catch me doing this shit. And if you don't, I'm going to do it. So I'm 100% here for Johnny Walker just as a slightly out of control, weird, fucking dangerous dude. Yeah, he's actually very lucky that he just grazed Ledette's hair with that soccer kick. But before I think he might have clipped an arm because I feel like I heard a slap when the when he threw the kick. So I feel like the toes grazed an arm that was like flying out of the way anyway. But if it's not a kick, if it doesn't land on the head, it doesn't count. <laughs> yeah, so super lucky. But uh, that was an incredible, incredible performance. He looked out there; his blood pressure was at the same level as Fedor Emelianenko's, yep. looking all calm in the face, chilling out, Max, and relaxing, all cool. Fucking hook kick, spinning back fist, and it's over. Holy shit. That was... I might watch the highlight again right now. Dude personifies the best things about what can be the great class of the light heavyweight division incoming, which is hyper-athletic weird dudes. Just getting taken over by weird athletic guys who were just too weird to play other sports where they might, their athleticism might have been better used and they could make way more money way easier. And, you know, it, it's sort of like a whole class of OSP where yeah. you're just like... But even, just more, but even more athletic. Hmm? I think, like, uh, Walker's even more athletic than Ovin St. Prue. Might be. And it's just one of those things where it's like it's Brazil, so they're into basketball, and maybe you're not the best at basketball, but they don't have football or rugby really, and you're too big for soccer. So you can just be this huge hyper athletic dude and not really have like an obvious sporting outlet to go to. And he ends up in MMA and we all get the benefit of it. 
So there's a lot of comments, of course, already speculating about Johnny Walker's possible future chances against Johnny Bones Jones. I'm going to placate them by talking about how long do you think that we should wait before we start pushing Johnny Walker toward a possible fight with Johnny Bones Jones? Should we slow roll him or should we get uh, Johnny Walker in there with somebody uh, in the top 10 right now? Well, there's no reason to not have him in the top 10 right now. It's just a question of how long you want to keep him treading water in the top 10. He's six years into his career at this point. I would honestly say give him another couple fights and let him go. Like, I know he's only 26, but at this point in his career, and this is what we're seeing, he should be a mostly fully developed prospect. Like, you've had nearly 20 fights in your career, and you've had six years to hone your craft Six years is usually like the point where somebody stops going from development, developing and jumping from fight to fight. And they start hitting the point where they're now just an elite fighter who's fine-tuning small skills. So give him a fight or two. Let him sh- If he can keep showing off like that and he can keep just absolutely shit-kicking guys, then throw him in there. You're not going to get anything out of him if you wait two or three or four years to try to let him build. You might you might end up with a better title challenger, but you also could just get a Henry Cejudo situation where he fights for the title right now, gets blown out, he gets another couple of years to be dominant and improve again, and then he gets another title shot in a couple of years and looks fantastic. I think that we, we just throw him right to the top right now. Obviously, any fight you put Johnny Walker in, I'm going to be excited about it be, just because of him. But I like the prospects of him versus somebody like Tiago Santos. Or more, actually, I want him to fight Tiago Santos. I think that Santos could be ready for a fight soon. In the post-fight interview, Walker said he'd fight tonight. He said, anybody in the crowd want to fight me tonight? I'd go again right now. I think we get him in there quickly soon against Tiago Santos. Yeah, no, I mean, just let him fight and let him, you know, if he wants to just tread water around the top ten for a year, this year, I, then middle of next year, be in title contention if he can win those fights. I say go for it, you know? He's he's still young, but he's got plenty of experience. He's at the point where I expect most guys to be a close be hitting their prime, be hitting the best years of their career where they're going to put on their best performances. And at that point I just say throw throw him at the hardest challenges you can all the time because Here's like four years where he's going to be the best fighter he can be, and after that, you don't know what you're getting. Yeah, he's kind of a a known commodity going forward. Jack Attack in the comment section is laughing about when Bisbing was like, hey, would you like to fight me? I think at this point, obviously Michael Bisbing is retired, but I'd be scared for Mike if if he actually got that fight to happen. Well, Well, I mean, I I, I don't think Johnny Walker is left-handed. So, you know, Bisping might have a chance because he, he, you know, you know, he can't see too good out of that uh, that for those left-handed punches coming at him. But uh, yeah, no, I, Bisping has never been his best fighter, his best self at light heavyweight. He doesn't need to step back in there. I'm he's one of the few dudes who's retired, kind of like 
right perfectly when he should have. He lost to GSP in a good, fun back-and-forth fight. Got smoked by Kelvin Gastelum. Just enjoyed being a commentator and being a douchebag from the sidelines. That's, you know, that's what the rest of us get off on. Speaking of which, while we're talking about Michael Bisbing, I think this was the first time that he was ever the cage side announcer on a, on a yep. UFC card. How do you think, or what do you think about his performance? He was fun. I didn't ignore him as much as I normally ignore play-by-play announcing, and uh, I didn't hate him for it. Yeah. I've always enjoyed Bisbing's kind of brand of dickishness, and it translates well to being a commentator because he's, especially with like what's going on in the cage, he's usually not wrong. So you just get a little more attitude with it, and it, it, you know it's about like Daniel Cormier doing it, and uh, DC's been pretty good. He's been a little like loud and over the top and Bisping was too but I, I appreciate them a little more than I do Dominic Cruz honestly because Cruz gets like he's smart but he gets way tracked into the way Dominic Cruz fights and if he sees a fighter who's not fighting like him he's not into it whether they're winning or not and if he sees a fighter who is fighting like him he's really into it whether they're winning or not so I, I kind of you know I had no problem with Bisping's vibe tonight yeah and for me Cruz is a little too serious. He he doesn't know when to joke. Like Joe Rogan will joke with him, and he'll just like it's not. This isn't the time to joke, Joe. Like it yeah, is the time really to joke with Joe Rogan. I love that. I love <laughs> him and Joe Rogan. Like there's this sort of you know, if it was a less professional promotion, you would like pan away, and they'd be like fighting in the booth, and you'd be like, oh shit. Well, <laughs> that experiment was fun while it lasted. But your comparison of Bisbing with Daniel Cormier, I think, is spot on because they both have this kind of a – I know that Bisbing is more of an asshole than Cormier, but they both have this kind of zest for life. And Bisbing showed a lot of enthusiasm early on. There were very few asses in the seats. The first, uh, There were some fights in the early card that weren't that good, but he was still showing a lot of enthusiasm and enjoying himself. So it makes me enjoy myself a little bit more when the commentator – can make it seem like it's more fun than it really is. I think the way you said zest for life is a great Midwestern polite way of saying a loudmouth jerk. That's <laughs> just beautiful. Like, yeah, he's a, uh, yeah, he's sort of bless your heart of like, <laughs> he's got a great zest for life. That dude who's like, you know, out there throwing beer bottles <laughs> through car windows at 2 AM in the morning. Yeah. He really knows how to live that guy. Yeah. Okay, let's go back to the co-main event of the evening, Jose Aldo. Not even turning back the clocks. You know, I just think that Max Holloway's just on such another level and had Jose Aldo's numbers stylistically that I don't think Aldo ever fell off like um, like his buddy Henan Burrell did. I think that he's right where yeah. he's always been. He just there's, there's a, There was a new guy to become the king, and uh, Jose Aldo looked like he's always looked against Hanato Moicano tonight. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it is proof positive that Aldo is still a great fighter, slowly in decline. Like, I think, you know, he's lost a step. He's no longer the best fighter in the fucking world. But he's now clearly the number two fighter at featherweight. He's clearly the best featherweight that is not named Max Holloway. And, you know, that's fucking awesome to see, because I'm a huge Jose Aldo fan. I love watching him fight, and it's great to see him freed of the idea of protecting his legacy and protecting his title. Because you're, it's the big thing is that you're seeing a return to violent Jose Aldo. You're getting a, you're getting a, somebody moving, you're getting moving away from the Frankie Edgar fights and the Ricardo Lamas fight and the Chan Sung Jung fight and all these fights Jose Aldo had where he was just 
you protect the belt. The belt is cat. You know, the belt is currency in the UFC. The belt is all the negotiating power a fighter will ever have if they're not named Conor McGregor or Ronda Rousey is wrapped up in their title. And so, fight fighters who win the belt, they become way more cautious. They become controlling. They don't want to lose rounds. They don't want to lose fights. You know, put yourself out there to get hurt. And Jose Aldo, free of that, he's just out there to fucking bang with dudes, you know? And the moment Hanato Moicano gave him respect, gave him time, let him feel out the fight, he let Jose Aldo read all of his timing, and then when he started to try to get aggressive in round two, Aldo was just like, fucking got you nailed, and blew him out of the water for it. Yeah, left hook after left hook after left hook, body head, body head, a knee to the face, an extremely violent finish that was. In the first round, Aldo threw the exact same left hook that he finished Jeremy Stevens with, and Hanato was able to defend it. And I said, okay, he's not going to be able to get that strike on Hanato. But like you said, Hanato started uh, respecting Aldo, then gave him the distance. Stevens put Aldo through a war, and Aldo came out ahead in that war. But, you know, it was the kind of, it was the Max Holloway idea. Like, you push Aldo, you make him, you make him, you test his ego, you make him fight you, you make him fight back, you make him fight hard, and you see how long his cardio lasts. And Moicano was just like, well, this dude's really fucking good and he hits really fucking hard. Maybe I'll wait and just see if I can kind of play this out, see how it goes. And that, that is the Jose Aldo fight. That is what he wants. He wants the time to figure you out. And when he gets to figure you out, he's still Jose fucking Aldo. He's still one of the best pound-for-pound fighters this sport has ever seen. And one of the most exciting-to-watch fighters that we've ever seen. I like that Mm -hmm. he's taking these three-rounders instead of the five-rounders so that he doesn't have to pace himself as much. But I want to know, what do you think is is next for him? Obviously, he's not going to be getting a title shot because he's already lost decisively twice to Max Holloway. He says he has, I think he has two fights left on his career. He said this might, or on his contract, he said this might be the the last year he's fighting in the UFC or fighting mixed martial arts. You want to see him in fun fights? You want to see him as a gatekeeper, sort of? Or what uh-huh. do you want from him? Well, he's had two wins in a row. He's won them spectacularly and reclaimed all my love. So I could stand it if he fought Brian Ortega. Mm-hmm. He might lose that fight. He might win that fight, but it would be fucking a shitload of fun. On the other hand, I also kind of want Brian Ortega to save his brain a little and maybe win a fight before that happens. And Aldo wants to fight again immediately. I feel bad that uh, I, I feel bad that now um, Cub Swanson's on a loss. On three losses straight. Mm-hmm. Because I've really wanted to see Cub Swanson versus Jose Aldo for a while. And when Aldo lost to Holloway twice, I felt like that was the perfect time to make that fight. But they didn't. So it's really hard to see otherwise what comes next for Aldo. Because like a Chan Sung Jung fight would be fun as shit. Mm-hmm. But Jung also just lost via hellacious knockout to Yair Rodriguez. Yeah, so you could give him Rodriguez instead. You could give him Rodriguez instead. That'd be a shitload of fun. It would also be one hell of a grinder to put Yair Rodriguez through. (laughs) Yeah. Well, the UFC doesn't seem to care too much for him. As one of your most exciting potential title challengers, be like, well, you got to fucking fight Jose Aldo next. See how you do, dude. Like, man, 
that might be the most fun fight out there, though. You know? Yeah, and there's not a lot of options for Jose, I don't think, at 145 pounds. I mean, uh, the list, is Frank Edgar beat him. I think Volkanovski's going to get the next title shot. If not, I think that's that's a robbery. Uh, he just beat Moicano, Jeremy Stevens. Uh, Matt, Chad Mendes retired. You got Mursad Bektic, Josh Emmett. Uh, the- yeah, I mean, a fight with Emmett would be fun, but it, it, also Emmett's coming off a crushing KO, so it doesn't make a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. So you're really looking at, like, Volkanovski or Yair Rodriguez, which one of your potential title challengers do you want to run through Jose Aldo right now? And the most likely one would probably be Yair. And I kind of sucks for Yair, but that would be a fun as hell fight. Yeah, I would love to watch it. It would be on my top three fights to watch video series. I'd like the build up to it. And I don't think, I seriously don't think anything should be talked about for Volkanovski other than a title shot. After the first five minutes of this fight, because I was thinking Hanato could be next if he beats Jose. Yeah, if he beat Jose Aldo, it seemed like he would have to be next. But I said when when it came, when this fight was announced, I was like, oh, they must not want Hanato to fight for the title because... They're putting him in with Jose fucking Aldo, and Jose Aldo's not going to fight for the title if he wins this fight, and there is zero guarantees that Hanato Moicano wins. So, and, and then that played out. So, yeah, Volkanovski next for Max Holloway. Brian Ortega potentially for Jose Aldo. But um, whatever they do with him, you know, we're going to be tuned in, and we're going to be yeah. excited about it. I'd love for him to be another underdog because I said, you know, coming into it, I'm not a big gambler, but when you put – the featherweight goat as an underdog in a, a non-title fight, not against Max Holloway. I think you have to bet on him. Here's the thing, though. Just out of left field. I know they're talking about doing Cerrone versus McGregor. But what if, like, Aldo ended his career with a lightweight rematch against Conor McGregor? Like, Oh, I was thinking you were going to go with Cerrone. I mean, either, either one of those would be a dope. No, but, like... It feels like we really should get that fight back at some point. You know, that ended in like 10 seconds. Right. And although, you know, I mean, it would be it would be a hell of a way for him to be able to close out his career this year. I know that's what he's aiming for. So I don't know. There are a few things out for the, there for Jose, although I hope he gets to end his career on a big fight because his last two fights have shown what you know, what What serious fans knew all along, which is that he's one of the best, most incredible action fighters the sport has ever seen. And titles change you. If you want to keep a title, if you want to be an all-time great, you dial it back a little. You play it a little safer. You work a little bit to keep your belt. You make sure that you don't get out of control in fights and makes things a little less fun, but it means you keep your belt. And that's what Aldo did for years and years, and then he's back as, you know, no longer champ, and just killing people. Yeah. Uh, George St. Pierre is a, a huge example of that. I thought yep. he was one of the most boring fighters of all time when he was just laying and praying dudes to keep his belt at 170, comes to 185 pounds, uh, knocks Michael Bisbing down and chokes him out. Yeah. It, without having to keep that belt, without that pressure of defending it, you can... Uh, kind of let yourself loose, let your hair down a little bit, like Jose yep. did. Um, it's way past how long I usually keep you, but if you if Wait you're back. willing, I, we should talk about Damian Maya versus Lyman Good, or you can sign off if you want. All right, uh, just really happy to see the old the old man get another win. 
He deserves it. And uh, Lyman Good is a fun fighter, but just not a good, not good enough to beat Damian Maya. So made me really happy. Uh, weird moment of the fight. I'll just say probably. I actually probably the the ref taking a point from David Tamer in the first round on the first eye poke. That was just amazing to me. Beautiful to see. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it was part of a great night overall of action. So, on the on the whole, I'm happy with it. I'm going to sign off now. You can find me on Twitter at Simon. Find me over at Bloody Elbow Day to Day. I'll be back with the sixth round. That'll be dropping tomorrow. And uh, sixth round post-fight show. And I'll be back with the MMA Viva section for UFC 234 coming in next week. And... Uh, yeah, otherwise, all that good shit. You can find me over at Bloody Elbow Presents, bloodyelbow.com. And uh, thanks for having me, man. Thanks a lot for being here, Zane. Sorry for keeping you too long, but it's just so fun to talk to you about fights. Ah, no problem, man. Thanks for having me. See ya. All right, so, fight fans, I'm going to go over the rest of this fight card as quickly as we can because the bosses at Vox Media, I'm, I'm kidding, the overlords at SB Nation MMA want me to keep the show to about 30 minutes. We are now 33 and some change uh, being live with the show, but we've got plenty more to talk about. The reason why I kept Zane so long and the reason why I'm going to k- talk to you guys for longer is I thoroughly fucking enjoyed this fight card. Um, I normally give a rating between 1 and 10, 1 to 5 or whatever, A to F, another a plus. The the prelims were kind of not that great, but they went by bang, 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 as we already mentioned. And the main card portion was absolutely delightful. It started with Johnny Walker, a hook kick to spinning back fist on Justin Ledette, doing the worm, uh, walking out, acting like a stripper. The the whole thing with Johnny Walker were absolutely fantastic. And then as the card went on, we had Charles Dubronx Oliveira uh, submitting David Tamer in a in a really fun fight. That uh, featured three eye pokes in the first round from David Tamer. We had uh, Damian Maya getting that rear naked choke over Lyman Good, who evidently Lyman Good has absolutely no takedown defense uh, whatsoever. I mean, Damian Maya uh, seemed to take him down with ease and then worked to the back, got the standing rear naked. Um, there's that jack attack. Some people talking about they didn't like the decisions. So let's go over some of the decisions early on in the card. Um, where are we talking? Rogerio Bantarin versus Magomed Bibilatov was the curtain jerker for the entire night. And it went to a split decision where Bantarin uh, defeated Bibilatov 29-28, 28-29, 29-28. Um, I wasn't paying attention close enough to the scoring to, to be really upset about the decision. But I... I a few thoughts that I had from that fight is Bibulatov or Bibulatov has been the favorite in all of his UFC appearances. Let's see. He was he closed at minus four twenty five over Bantarin. He he closed at minus six thirty five against John Moraga. Closed at minus six fifty to Janelle Lauza and minus fourteen hundred in the WSOF against Donovan uh, Frilo. And he's now lost two in a row. After having a successful unanimous decision over Janelle Lauza. So I think he has underperformed every single time he's been to the Octagon. Even though he got that decision victory over Janelle Lauza in his Octagon debut. Uh, getting knocked out by John Moraga as a gigantic favorite. Not that good. And he did not look like a 6-1 to one favorite or whatever. 4-1 uh, to one favorite against Bantarin. He got hurt a couple of times early on in the fight. And so... 
You know, it, the decision might have went the wrong way, but I think if you're going to put a Russian guy in Brazil against the Brazilian and have a super tight fight, I don't think you can really be – uh, hometown favoritism is going to happen in mixed martial arts, especially can- Canada it happens a lot, the UK it happens a lot. I don't think it happens so much in the United States, and that just could be my bias because I'm from there, so I, I'm a little blind to it. But it's the fight capital of the world. Hell, a lot of Americans don't even have American fighters as their favorite fighters. But you're going to send a Russian to Brazil, he's got to edge it a little further than than what he actually did. So maybe the controversial decision, but I thought it was fine. Another controversial decision was Tiago Alves versus Max Griffin. I had to run and get something for my wife, who's very, very pregnant, going to have a baby soon. Thank you in advance for the congratulations. I'm super pumped about it. Going to be a dad this fucking month. Yeah. Anyway, so I only saw the last round. And it was a round where I saw Thiago Alves with a left body kick to Griffin that hurt him. Got a takedown on the ground. Uh, got Griffin to the ground. Um, controlled him there. Looked for some submissions. You know, I thought that you could argue that Alves won the third round. And I thought that with the body kick where he hurt him, and the little bit of control time on the ground, I, I might have given the third round to Alves. I saw that Alves got hurt really bad in the first round, and it could have been a 10-8. I didn't watch it, so I don't really know. I apologize that I can't speak to that that well. But, yeah. Ott Odell says, Griffin got wobbled hard in the third round and got wrestled, got mounted, did zero damage. Position with da- without damage means nothing by the new rules. Uh, got mounted, but did zero damage. Yeah, I don't know. I don't think it was a, a a robbery. Again, I didn't see the whole thing. I would have scored the third round for Alves, and I think it was uh, some round two and three for Alves on on the two judges scorecards that gave it to him. So close fight, not a robbery, but again, if it's close, you're going to give it to the Brazilian fighter in his home country. Um. But let's talk about Charles Dubronx Oliveira versus David Tamer. Then we'll get into our post-fight bonuses, and we can get out of here for this week. That's that's what I want to focus on. That was the next thing that was the best that happened. Um, so, right early in the fight, Oliveira went for a kick, um, and David Tamer like stuck his fingers on both of Oliveira's eyes and like went down with him. So he kind of fish hooked the eyes. The referee gave Oliveira quite a bit of time. He said he had up to five minutes uh, to return. And because Oliveira was having a lot of difficulty uh, clearing his eyes and, and getting his vision back, the referee, Jaron Vallel, decided to take a point from David Tamer. And I thought that was fantastic. Really, really glad that Jaron Vallel decided to take that point from David Tamer. And then immediately he restarts him and Tamer pokes him in the eyes again. And Oliveira's like, what the fuck, man? And the referee's like, hey, you got, I, I, I'm the one that calls timeout. You don't call timeout. Started again. Fucking David Tamer hits him with an eye poke again. Like, what the shit? David Tamer, you cheating son of a gun. You already got caught. Like, it's different if you weren't getting caught and you just keep going for the eye pokes. You got caught. Nonetheless, uh, second round, Oliveira started to, f- well, actually in the first round even, Oliveira was walking t- Tamer down, hitting him with some big stuff. Uh, jumping knees to the face. I think Oliveira hit Tamer with a couple of them in the second round. And then what closed the show was an up elbow, an up elbow from Oliveira caught David Tamer, and then 
It hurt him, and Oliveira dove in on a, a Darsh choke. First it was standing, took it to the ground, and finished it via, um, well, it was Anaconda choke in the second round. Extending his own submission record. So, Dubronx Oliveira has the most submission victories in UFC history. It was 12. Now it is 13. Um, he's also on a four-fight winning streak, all via submission. That is insane, and the and this this is we're talking about the guy who has the most submission victories in the history of the of the UFC, the promotion, and he was plus one sixty eight to win via submission. He's on a streak of three in a row, and he was plus one sixty eight to get a sub. I thought that doesn't make any goddamn sense. You have to play that number, and it cashed. I actually ended up playing Oliveira inside the distance. Which for a second there was kind of scary because after the up elbow, uh, Oliveira started pouring on some some follow-up strikes. <laughs> Marcus, the commenter said that I'm drinking for two. That's right. Uh, Oliveira was following up with uh, strikes against the cage and Jaren Vallel could, could have easily stepped in and stopped the fight via TKO. But he let Oliveira snag that, that anaconda choke and I was like, yes, thank goodness. Because I tweeted out, it doesn't make sense for it to be plus 168 Oliveira via submission. Uh, Rob Amon's been talking about people to cut. Let's talk about that. And then we'll talk about our post-fight bonuses. I think that you cut Magomed Bibulatov. We're, we're, we're cutting a lot of the uh, the flyweights anyway. Bibulatov, Bibulatov has not done well. In his career in the UFC... He lost this fight. I think we cut him. Um, and then Junior Albini got head kicked, uh, finished in the second round to Jarzinho Rosenstroik. Uh, that fight came out. Junior Albini, you know, he he boxed up uh, Big Johnson, Timothy Johnson, in his UFC debut. I thought he was a really good boxer. Uh, he come out and he take he took Jarzinho. A Rosenstroik down early, looked for a Kimura, but Rosenstroik just like muscled him, muscled his way to the feet, as you would think, like maybe a Derek the Black Beast Lewis would, uh, and then uh, just kind of swanged and banged like Derek Lewis would to get the finish over Junior Albini in the second round. Albini has now lost. Let's see, he's lost three in a row. The Ezekiel Chokins, Alexei Olenek, decision to Andrei Arlovsky. Um, yeah, you got to cut him. Let's give our post-fight bonuses. So, Rob, Oodle, Marcus, Jack. Jack Attack said nobody should be cut. In fact, Albini would be a good option for Greg Hardy now. I suppose. No, they're probably not going to do that. They're probably cutting him. Good idea, though. Let's, Guys, I want to know what your post-fight bonuses are. Remember, because we're not actually giving anybody any money at all, Let's give each person in our post-fight bonus. Let's give five people post-fight bonuses, I guess. Jack Attack says Johnny Walker should get all the post-fight bonuses. Clearly, he's one of our post-fight bonuses. Second one is Charles Dubronx Oliveira. I think every time he adds to his submission record, you give him another post-fight bonus. There's two of them. Um, Marlon Marais gets a finish in the first round of the main event. You get a finish in the first round of the main event, you get a post-fight bonus. There's three of them. Fourth one is going to Jose Jr. Scarface Aldo uh, for getting the finish over Hinato Moicano in the co-main event. And the fifth post-fight bonus that I would give, fuck it, 
Damian Maya. All five finishes on the main card are getting post-fight bonuses. I honestly don't think there was uh, a fight of the night. Uh, Oodle, Ot Toddle, I'm sorry, I don't know how to say your name. This is fight of the night to Alves Griffin. That makes me so mad. The reason why I went to the drugstore for my wife during that fight is because I thought it was going to be Mara Romello Barella against Tyler Santos. And I missed Alves versus Griffin instead. But I, I would just give the five finishes on the main card my post-fight bonuses. Let me check Twitter to see what the real ones were, and I'll read your guys's. Jack Attack says, Walker, Oliveira, Marais, Aldo, Maya. A bonus flush for the Brazilians. Rob Amos says, early, early time screwed me since I live on the West Coast. I thought it was perfect. Um, the first time I was trying to look up what time this fight card started. It was telling me in, in Brazilian time, and I'm like, I don't know what fuck time that is. You got to tell me in Eastern or Central time, or else I'm not going to be able to figure it out. I do terrible with time zone changes. Uh, Where are the post-fight bonuses? Okay. Performance of the night bonuses went to Jose Aldo, Charles Oliveira, Johnny Walker, and Marlon Marais. Those are the real ones, the official ones. So everybody but uh, Damian Maya, who got a finish on the main card, is getting a post-fight bonus. This brings us to the point in the show where we're going to close it down. But I need your thumbs up, please. If you appreciate this post-fight show, please give it a thumbs up and subscribe to the channel. I need your thumbs up now more than ever because I get a ton of thumbs down on this post-fight show. At the very beginning, I stumble on my words. I kind of struggle when I got a co-host because, I don't know, in my mind, I think that they're going to interrupt me. So I have to speak faster. And then I trip up on myself. So, um, And that's something that I have to work through. It's not something that anybody else is doing wrong to me. But I'm, I feel bad about it. And I might get some thumbs down at the beginning of this video when somebody comes to watch it back. So you guys that are here now, I need your thumbs up. It would help me out a ton. The bosses will keep me around and I'll keep getting better as we go on. Thanks a ton, Jack Attack. He's in England. And it's only 4.30 a.m. It's usually 7.30. He's so happy. I know. It's fucking 10.30 my time. Normally, it's like 1.30 or 12.30 when I'm doing this post-fight show. It's absolutely lovely. I'm going to enjoy some homebrewed beer. Um, thank you, Jim Bob. Uh, while I watch the post-fight press conference, is there, if there is one. If not, I'm going to go watch some bare-knuckle boxing. Maybe even some boxing over on ESPN+. And then next week, I'll be back for a top three fights to watch video on this very channel uh, for UFC 234, which is headlined by Robert Bobby Knuckles Whitaker, the champion of the middleweight division, versus Kelvin on a mission for gold, Gaslam. And in the co-main event, we've got Israel, the last stylebender, Adesanya, versus Anderson, the spider, Silva. Thanks so much for being here, guys. Thank you, Jack Attack. Marcus uh, McGahey gave Alves vs. Griffin a fight of the night. And Jeffrey James says, Fook to ESPN Pluses. I think we're going to close it out on that, guys. Thanks so much. We'll see you next week. Namaste. Namaste right here and drink this beer. Yeah.